I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. What up, what up? It's Mr. Chalk from the world famous beat junkie scam artist. And right now you're checking out Rebel Radio like this, y'all. Huh. Fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. You're checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. My guest today, the one and only Mr. Chalk of the Beat Chunkies, Mr. Chalk of... Power 106. Mr. Chalk of the Scratch Academy, scam artist, fantastic DJ, and uh, an old friend of mine come back to tell us what it's like. He's been in the game for now, I think, three decades and has built a really amazing career doing what he loves and uh, making people dance. Uh, He's got some great lessons for us, talking about building a community of people who would otherwise be competitors. He's got some lessons in how he's surrounded himself with like-minded DJs who who help each other out, really turning DJing into a team sport. And uh, his secret for how to combat the bad habits that pop up. Good stuff from Mr. Chalk coming up right after our EDM.com track of the week. Just 
Another nigga came up off a hidden agenda. You so only be yourself now. You All right, that was Renz Young, a North Side love story, the EDM.com track of the week. Check out EDM.com for much more good music. And right now, check out Mr. Chalk on Rubble Radio. You've been stuck in the club, living and running it up. Now I'm on bullshit, and you can't tell yet. But I'm the only one feeling the way when it's hell. You know, you're dope behind the wheel. Oh, thank you, man. I've seen you over the years. I know you played parties for us when we were doing the science stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, just seeing you and hearing you on Power 106 and all that. But, like, a lot of guys, Not, I mean, every everybody does it different. Some people kind of keep to themselves. You know, you. So when we met, uh, was that loud? Ah, like that's when you and C minus, I think, had driven down mm-hmm. from Bakersfield mm-hmm. to like just meet. Folk. I don't even know what you're doing there, but I saw you in we, the office. I think that um, at that time, me and C minus were just trying to uh, like just let people know that we're we're here and, yeah. and we're trying to uh, like just. Just build relationships. Yeah, um, for sure. So that, know. so I'm gonna put you. That was '93. Whew. Yeah. Because that's when I was at Loud '92, '93. Okay. Okay. Just for I had a very short career at so, Loud Records. So at that time, we had just got into radio. We yeah. we'd actually been like, in Bakersfield. Yeah, in Bakersfield, we yeah. had been running with the Baker Boys. I, I I grew up with the Baker Boys since I was like 16, okay. 17 years old. So. Okay. Um, I'd always been kind of like anytime they did like a radio show, I'd be the guy to go up there and answer the phones. You know, oh, of nice. course, I was DJing and stuff too. So, yeah. you know, when they left for Power 106 and um, was it 92, 93, we took their old position at the station that was in Bakersfield called KKXX. Okay. And we started working there. And from there, that's when we started like getting introduced to the music industry, people yeah. um, calling, you know, because we had to call the labels and let them know that we're there and we want to get service and right. send us records so sure. we can start breaking, you know, doing this mix show and stuff. So Dude, it's a whole different. People don't realize that, like, everyone talks about how easy it is to be a DJ now. Yeah. But and everyone, but it's always the technology you could press buttons. Mm-hmm. But people forget that getting records back then <sighs> was such a big challenge. Man, e- either you. That's had- I think the the easier part. Like even easier than the technology is like just get having access to music. Oh now. yeah, yeah. Because you had to go different places just to get those records, man. Yeah. I mean, like now the digital age, like you know, you can get on a digital record pool, you can find pretty much anything you want. Right. You know, you got the software now where you can have doubles of everything. For sure. Um, but back in those days, man, you had to shop, and then like once you got in the music industry, you had to like build the relationships with people at labels and. Yeah hoping they could put you on the mailing list and send right, you some right, records. Right. And then you hope that you're on that that main mailing list right, where right. you get those white labels, yeah. test pressings, and like yeah. before anybody else, because that was the thing back in the 90s, like For sure. to get a joint before somebody else gets it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how, how'd you even get started before the Baker Boys? Like, how'd you... Were you always into music as a kid? Yeah, man. That, that's my mom. God, God rest her soul. She, mm. uh, she was always like... Um, she bought records. Okay. She loved music, and um, my dad not so much. My dad would always like walk out of the house when my mom would be like playing records. And, Is that right? Yeah, because he was the quiet guy. My my, my dad didn't smoke uh-huh. cigarettes or didn't drink any alcohol or anything. But my mom, you know, she occasionally have a yeah. beer or two or whatever. And when she did, she would put on some music. So at what an was early, she playing? Uh, she was playing everything from staple singers, Al Al Green, um, um, Aretha Franklin, James Brown, just all the soul. Do you remember the first record that like impacted you? Um, 
I, I would have to probably say something from Aretha or something from the Staple Singers mm. because uh, that's what my mom played. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Peaches and Herb, mm -hmm. Earth, Wind and Fire, uh, Wilson Pickett. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of those artists were played in my house when I was growing up. So, what's the what's the first record you bought for yourself? For me, um, Malcolm McLaren, Buffalo Gals. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, you know, because I was a break dancer, so. Yeah. Introduce, being introduced uh, to music at a at a really early age at the like I think what the age of seven eight my mom started like having me showed me how to like you know you have the old old school phonographs so you get the forty fives you get a stack of them yep. and you put them on there and they all drop down yep. my mom would have stacks like so like she told me like okay when this stack is done you take that stack off you put this oh, stack wow. on so she was she had a crate yeah, yeah she had no it wasn't crates it was just just records right. everywhere dude i mean yeah. she she really loved music man and that was like her i guess her therapy sometimes and which ended up turning into my therapy also too yeah. but i i didn't even realize at that time what she was kind of preparing me for you know like showing me how to like because if you think about what the 45 adapter was back then and you put a stack of records on, that wasn't an easy thing to figure out. It was, like, right. it was yeah, kind of yeah, like sure. difficult. So, you know, yeah. when she showed me, I, it just always stuck with me. And But that was the first time, like, that you could pre-program a set. Yeah. You think about it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. you stack up your 45s mm -hmm. and they're going to drop in a certain order. So mm -hmm. you can kind of think about it. And the thing is, is that when I'd be done with like the three or four stacks that she had, then she told me that I had to turn them over uh -huh. and then play the B sides oh, wow. now. So, you know, and it was just. Moms was deep. Yeah, moms, moms was on it, man. And <laughs> she, she really hit me to a lot of music. She showed me how to dance. Yeah. And from that, um, from her showing me how to dance, like eventually, like in, the, in when 1980 came around, um, is when I started like pop locking and breaking mm -hmm. and stuff. I was introduced to that and, and just took off from there, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just took off. I mean, from but then me breakdancing and and um, going to these competitions and going to functions where you know breaking was happening at and popping and I was noticing the DJ and I would just notice I would recognize certain songs that were being played and I was like, I know that record, man, and that mm -hmm. record doesn't sound like that. He's doing something to that record, so I started paying attention to what the DJ was doing and. Yeah. That's what intrigued me a, a lot to like, okay, you know what? I, I kind of want to learn how to do that a little bit, you know, because I started seeing them scratching and they're yeah. like, they'd have two copies of a record and, and just extend it. And I just didn't, I didn't get it at first. Mm -hmm. But then mm -hmm. when I, you know, started, you know, um, paying more attention and started buying my own records, I started buying my own records, I want to say at the age of 13. Okay. And the only reason why I was buying records at that time was to practice dancing to. I wasn't. Right. Thinking about DJing or anything like that at all. Yeah. It was just to practice dancing to and practice routines. I was in various groups at the time. Um, Did you have like a go-to b-boy cut? That, like he, Egypt, Egypt. Yeah. Egyptian lover. Who I, who now I know. Who, yeah, who's, yeah. who's now a friend of it's mine. It's weird, right? Really weird. And he's still so dope, dude. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, those those are my, my, my early humble beginnings for sure. My mom, definitely a huge influence. And, um, you know, I had a lot of... Um, cousins at that time who were who got me into the whole break dancing thing my mom showed me how to dance so mm -hmm. i know how to pop my fingers and stay on beat and everything but mm -hmm. my cousins were the ones that got me into break dancing and even like 
like music that was kind of popping at that time in the mm-hmm. 80s. Like I wasn't really hip on that until they kind of like played a lot of stuff for me. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So it was, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. <laughs> I'm sure. And then, and then how'd you meet C-minus? C-minus, well, like my cousins I was just talking about, um, C-minus was hanging out with my older cousin. And um, we kind of just ran into each other and just started talking about music and just found out we had a lot in common and we liked a lot of the same records. And we just started hanging out. I met him. I, I had graduated high school. I was 18 years old. I think he was like 15, 16 years old, something like that. Yeah, so I met him um, like right in, like right when I got my equipment. So when I met him, he was he had already kind of like knew how to mix and stuff a little bit. So he would come over to my house to okay. like um, practice on my equipment, mm. and then I would take my equipment over to his house and then leave it over there for a couple of days because we were also he was also a dancer also too. Oh, okay. So we practiced dancing together, we practiced mixing together, and it just kind of um, grew from there. Mm-hmm. What's crazy is that C minus's um, parents. Um, his mom knew, and his grandmother n- used to work with my mom and dad when oh, they wow. were younger, so they knew each other. Oh, which, that's the truth. So it was kind of weird. It was almost like destiny, you know, right. like like we were eventually, you know, meant to like hook up and right. start doing music together and yeah. build this partnership and brotherhood. And I mean, Bakersfield yeah. seems like I mean, I don't, I don't think it's that small of a town, but it- uh, no, it's it's not that small of a town, but it's it's, it's small. Yeah. <laughs> It's it, it's like everybody knows pretty much who everybody is, right. and I lived on the outskirts of Bakersfield in a city called a town called Lamont. Okay. So I would always have to like travel maybe like ten fifteen minutes into Bakersfield just to find out what was happening as far as like clubs or like even when I met the Baker Boys, it was always right. like a ten minute commute to sure. to, to their house to sure. like hang out with them and stuff. So. But do you think that matters? Like growing up in a in a smaller town where you could kind of build a name for yourself and build a community. Yeah. I think it also gives you a better appreciation of what's going on and in the culture. Mm-hmm. And the, like when I came to Los Angeles, I felt like I just really, um, really appreciated what LA was doing with hip hop and with with DJing and all that. I, mm-hmm. I I felt like I appreciated it a lot more than the average you know person that lived in Los Angeles. Not to knock anybody or anything, but mm-hmm. I just I just had sure. a love and and just a passion for it. Like, I wanted it more than anything. Well, I think sometimes we take for granted, like, all the cool stuff that happens around here just because we live in a big city where yeah. stuff happens, right? Yeah. And you kind of expect that. Yeah. But, yeah, when you see it from the outside, it's got a specialness to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it it definitely was something that... Well, uh, my I have a cousin that live, lives in um, um San Pedro. So I would, like, from the age of 15, I would come up here every summer mm. and stay, um, like, two or three months <clears throat> just to kind of, um, you know, just hang out with my family, of course. But then, like, my cousins would take me around to all these these events, and I was just amazed. And, like, yeah. you know, even slots and swap meet and yeah. um, nightclubs by Disneyland and where the DJs were, like, cutting up music and just the clubs were packed and people were just going for broke with the dancers. I mean, again, I come from dancing, so mm-hmm. I would come up here to... I'd get like a culture, a, a culture slap in the face because I'd come up here and see all the new dance moves, all the new fashion, um, hear all the new music, and see all the dopest DJs. So I would just go back like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta learn all this, man. So I would be practicing dancing, going out buying records, practicing DJing. It just never stopped for me. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs>
Hey, check it out. Rebel Radio is brought to you by Wix.com. Do you need a website? No, let me tell you, you do need a website. And you can do it yourself with Wix.com. No matter what business you're in, if you got a startup, your music career, your uh, earwax collection, I don't know what you're doing. Whatever it is, you need a website. And Wix is used by more than 84 million people worldwide. It makes it easy to get your website live today. You can spend time on your business. Don't spend time building your website. There's hundreds of designer-made templates to choose from. Use the drag-and-drop editor. You drop in your images, your videos, your copy. And next thing you know, you have a beautiful website that you built yourself. It's fast. It's easy. It's free. We did it with rebelradio.net. Check it out. And you can see the amazing work you can do with Wix.com. You're too busy with everything else. Stop worrying about your website. Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com, create your own website today. Send it to us and we will promote it online. All right. <clears throat> do you remember your first, uh, your first paid gig as a DJ? Um, what was it? I want to say it was like a quinceanera or something. Okay. Yeah, I think it was somebody's quinceanera. That, I mean, that's how I really cut my teeth. Like, when yeah. I first started DJing, it was, like, doing, like, proms, uh-huh. all the high school dances. Um, but I want to say it was probably a quinceanera or somebody's birthday party or something. Mm-hmm. I think it was 50 bucks. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. I probably didn't even expect that. I just right. wanted to go and, like, just, like, I just want to go play, you know? Sure. So, And it was my first gig actually was in 85 it was new year's eve and i was djing with a guy by the name of um uh, magic mike mm. and um uh, you know not the magic mike from miami right. but you know magic yeah. mike in bakersfield and uh uh he ended up meeting a girl and then uh he rolled out and left me there with the, all this equipment and the microphone so that was like my actual like kind of just okay. throw me into the fire you know Go it was like it. yeah it was like my first first gig so yeah. Yeah, 85 is when it all started. How did it feel? I was nervous as hell. <laughs> I was crazy nervous. Because, again, like, it, it was his equipment, so he right. left. And so sure. I had been around and hanging out with him and, and like, you know, kind of used to some of the equipment a little bit. But yeah. it was uh, it was definitely like, okay, I need to learn this. Like, But it, I think that from that first gig also, too, it made me, like, really, like, okay, I want to learn how to do this, man. Mm-hmm. Like, there's something about like playing records and controlling people's emotions and like taking them out of whatever world that they went through for the week or whatever. It's, it's just something sure. about that, and and I really enjoy that. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, yeah. So did you walk away from that feeling like, like you could do this, or um, what, like I felt like um, I wanted to learn. I didn't mm-hmm. think I could do it. I, mm-hmm. Again, it was a nervous situation, and, and thank God I don't have a recording of that because it was a, <laughs> I was probably really, really horrible. But right. um, um, I, w- I definitely wanted to learn. Yeah. Um, again, I, the, the whole thing of, of buying records and everything was already there for me, so I just wanted to get a, a, a more of a understanding of what it is about DJing. How do you... Um, do a transition from one record to another like what is beat what are bpms and you know just a lot of i i knew i had a lot to learn but i was yeah. i was willing to learn so at what point did you start to feel like i got this or like that you could do it for a living um i it was always a dream i never thought i could do it for a living mm. um it was just a dream to do it and but then things just started falling into place so mm. 
once I got on commercial radio without the Baker Boys and we had our own show, then that's when it started to become a little bit more serious. In Bakersfield. Yeah, in yeah. Bakersfield, KKXX. That yeah. was in 93. Mm-hmm. And I got to Power 106 in 95. Okay. Um, so my introduction to the whole music industry is like when I started taking it a lot more serious, definitely. Yeah. Meeting cats like you, Bigger sure. B, mm-hmm. um, you know, Fat Man Scoop, who was, who was at Tommy Boy at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was just, that was, that was my introduction to it and definitely made me feel like I could do something with this, make a career out of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things I remember, because I was starting out kind of the same time, it was like people like that, you mentioned Fat Man Scoop tried to re- sign a record I was managing. Um, or he brought it into Tommy Boy, and, mm-hmm. and we tried to do that. But, like, you know, there was just all of a sudden this camaraderie, like people that maybe you didn't even know, mm-hmm. they're across the country, but you all shared a common language yeah, of hip-hop yeah, and yeah. a common goal yeah. to make music, make people dance or whatever you do with that, right? And, and like, all of a sudden it's like you're welcomed into this family. Yeah. Uh, um, one of one of the people I definitely want to shout out is um, Ricky Lee. God mm. rest his soul. He was definitely one of the ones that um, reached out to us once we got to KKXX and yeah. told us he was doing this this thing with um, all the DJs across the country where we get on and talk about what our records are and what we think the next big hits are. And that was really my introduction to a lot of the DJs that were in the marketplace, well, in, in the country at that time who were really doing something like Flex, Funkmaster Flex was on there, Baker Boys. Yeah. That conference so, call. I yeah, remember. yeah, the hits conference call. Is yeah. there is is there anything like that still exists? I think they still do. Um, I forget what they call it now. It'll come back to me here in a minute, man. I'm still half asleep to be honest <laughs> with you. Of um, but uh, they do. I think they still do that conference call. You know. Oh, is that and, right? And, and you know, in honor of Ricky, still. Wow. So I, yeah. I haven't been on it in years, but yeah. yeah, it's still going on. But that's the only thing that I know that as far as like that are bringing DJs together or at least talking about it, um, yeah. you know, they're having those those calls still. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I think DJing is interesting where, you know, there's a certain amount of competition. Like you said, some of it's about who got the first record, mm-hmm. right? You, you're competing for, for slots, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's only so many, it, you it, know, radio shows or, or uh, the hot parties, right? They, but at the same time, like there's a lot of people helping each other. Yeah, yeah, too. it's definitely um, people looking out for each other and people putting people on. Like when I got to Power 106, man, it was so crazy for me because you know, again, I grew up with the Baker Boys, but then you had Richard Humpty Vision, you had mm-hmm. Tony B, you had DJ Henry, you had like all these powerhouse DJs, man. So it was like yeah. for me getting there and not really and kind of being an unknown at that time, it was like it was very important for me to raise my skill level because I seen where everybody else was at. Sure. So um, at that time when they brought us in, we were we were doing overnights on the weekends. So yeah. any chance that I would get to touch the turntables, I was on them. Anytime I wasn't at work. For sure. Yeah, so yeah. it was very important for me to. What do you think, like, is that a good business idea if you think about other industries for, like, people that are sort of competitors to help each other? Yeah, I think that... Things could be a lot better for everybody if everybody just kind of works hand in hand and, and looks out for each other and has each other back. Yeah, yeah. have have each other's back. Um, I think it's it's too easy to um, backstab now, and, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it, actually, it's always been like that, man. People sure. people are always kind of you know like 
trying to get ahead of the of the other person or whatever when really we should just try to be helping each other i think it'll be better and it'll benefit everybody better a lot better you know so uh so when you guys started out it was you and c minus almighty roughnecks Mm -hmm. um that that name actually came from um i think mc light had the the roughneck uh thing out at the time but it was the description that that she said what a roughneck was in that song that kind of like made us think like okay you know what let's let's go with this and okay. and then we wanted to freak the spelling so we didn't spell it like neck we spelled it with yeah, yeah. n-e-x-x and then we put the almighty in front just to you know kind of give it a little extra oomph for sure you know and but for it sure. but it, it worked man it, it caught people's attention it caught power 106's attention and uh yeah i'm glad we did that <laughs> yeah that's cool did you like i know you said the baker boys kind of were were you know helped put you on mm-hmm. in bakersfield um what did you learn from those guys? I learned really to be a good DJ, you have to know how to play everything. Mm. That's what I learned from them the most because they, you know, God bless their, their mom and dad, Terry and Frank. Um, they had like the biggest nightclub in the city when I was in, in my teenager. That's how I met them. I met them through their going to their night, yeah. being a dancer at their nightclub, going there and just hanging out and talking. And then we found out we had a lot in common. And so we became like really like the crew, like best friends, brothers. Yeah. I, I look at like all of those those guys as my brothers. But um, God, I just totally spaced out. I was going to. No, I was just saying like what kind of lessons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, I just learned them? how to, to play everything like if i wanted to work and if i wanted to be a working dj i need to know how to play not only hip-hop what i love but you need to know how to play some of this freestyle stevie b part of your body you know you need to know how to play some house music you need to know how to play you need to know how to cater to everybody that's that's going to be in your club or at your function or event or whatever you can't just be i'm going to go in and play big daddy kane all night right you know that's not going to work sure but that's the biggest lesson I learned from them. I learned a lot from them with just clean mixing, too. Yeah. Eric V, to, to this day, to me, is still one of the cleanest mixers ever. Sure. And and timing and just um, just being on point and, and programming. I mm-hmm. learned a lot from them from program about how to put records together, mm-hmm. what records should go with what. Like, just because of the same BPM, it doesn't, if the energy's different in the record, doesn't mean that you should be Sure. Mixing that record, like, yeah. so I learned a lot from them from just programming, um, uh, clean mixing transitions, and just and just how to really just and just about different genres, just learning more about different genres mm-hmm. and, and being able to like if you want to work, you got to know how to do everything. Yeah, that's what I learned from them. And uh, is that still true? Obviously, with like now open format or like genres are more fluid, I think, than they used to be. Yeah, it's. It, I think that. You know, when the whole digital thing got introduced, it was easier for DJs to say, like, okay, I want to play this type of music now. Because, you know, when you buy records, you're only buying a certain amount of records back in those days. Yeah, of course. You know, so it's like once the digital thing came out, you know, it was like, okay, I could could get all these house records that I don't really know. I could educate myself. And, you know, I think that it it, it worked out. Man, I remember when Napster came. I probably locked myself in the house for, like, two weeks and just... No, I don't think I slept. I was just downloading like downloading everything. everything that I wanted that you couldn't afford, couldn't find, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Just trying to get it all because you didn't know how long that. I I remember having a feeling, not that I predicted 
what was going to happen because mm-hmm. I definitely didn't. But I definitely had a feeling like, th- like this is not going to last, <laughs> that we could just scoop up anything we want for free. Right. right. So I was like, I-, I better build my hard drive right now. I, see, and when Napster came out, I still really wasn't on up on it like that, man. That I wasn't right? downloading music or and anything. And it was so oh. slow. Yeah. Because you were on dial-up back then mm-hmm. and, like... Not her, but I heard that's how like you, your and half the tracks get, didn't work. Yeah, I heard that's how your computers would get viruses though too. Yeah, yeah, from downloading from probably all that so. Stuff, so. Yeah, so I yeah I wasn't even I didn't I don't even think I had a computer when Napster oh, wow. came out. So because yeah. I was still just like like records records are, are, and still my house is still filled filled with records, man. And, you know, I've been on digital like 11, 12 years now at this point. Yeah, um, but I remember when I bought Serato, um, I. Uh, <laughs> I bought it. Well, I, okay, quick story, real quick. Um, I did a gig with Jazzy Jeff, mm. and um, actually, before Jazzy Jeff, I saw Revolution with it, and then my partner, uh, my brother J Rock, and mm-hmm. the Beat Junkies, he had it, and I still wasn't convinced. And then I did a gig with Jazzy Jeff where I was just hosting, and he was actually on DJ. On, he was DJing that night. He introduced Serato yeah. that night, to, at least to me. Like, I think he had been on it for like a month or so before then. <clears throat> okay. And I saw him on it, and I said, okay, I'm convinced. I'm going to go buy it. But then I went and bought it, and it sat in my house for like a month, man. <laughs> I was so scared of it because I'd heard so many horror stories of computers crashing right. and yeah. everything, man. So I was like, I'm going to wait till I learn it. Yeah. And then I'll I'll come out with it. And, you know, I, I took a while to learn it. Like, it, I sat in my house for like a month. I finally opened it, and I started working on it. So it took like two months for me to actually come out with it. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I was scared, man. <laughs> yeah. I was scared. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, coming up, like, I mean, it sounds like you got some cool breaks while you're working hard to, you know, learn the craft, right? But, yeah. you know, is is there a point where you noticed – that everything got easier. Yeah, once the the once the the digital, yeah, once Serato got introduced, yeah. I got I got Serato in two thousand five. Um, so a little bit after that, man, I just seen this again. Like I've been at this point, I've been DJing for thirty one years, so I've seen it flip so many times. I've seen like everyone come, everybody comes in, like oh, I'm a DJ now, I'm a DJ now. Then six months later, okay, I don't DJ no more. Yeah, you know, so. I thought it was going to be the same thing when the Serato, you know, the digital thing got introduced. But, man, it just mm-hmm. DJ, everybody became a DJ. For sure. I mean, yeah. everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's when I think it became easier, at least to, to, to be able to call yourself a DJ. What about for you, like, in business? To, like- business? Um, when did it become easier? It's not. No. <laughs> still not easy. Yeah. It's still like, Well, because of what you just said, right? All of a sudden, there's all these more DJs. Yeah. That made it harder for me for sure. to prove myself, you yeah. know? Like, you know, even though I was already established and right. already doing my thing, it was still like I had to go and, uh, um, you know, like really just step my game up even more. Like, you know, just that's when the whole... Um, MySpace came out mm-hmm. and like, you know, mm-hmm. so just like now social media. So a lot of different things that were um, um, being introduced at that time helped me step my game up. So are you, how do you use social media? I know you said like you're not so big on Facebook or whatever. Uh, but man, like, I mean, it's a, it's a distraction to me. So do you use it? Is there, here, let me ask you this way. Is there, are there things you do that help you connect with fans or promoters or? 
Um, or is that even something you think about? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm on social media. I have an Instagram. I have um, Twitter. Um, I'm on Facebook. So I try my best to do um, you know, the updates and posts as mm-hmm. much as possible. Um, I have a SoundCloud also, too. Um, I haven't put anything up in a while, but I definitely need to uh, use that a lot more. Uh-huh. But that's how I, I pretty much stay in touch with um, uh, social media, just updating and, and trying to talk to my fans and, and you know followers as much as possible. Um, I was also you know, a part of uh, a DJ school also, too, yeah, Scratch yeah. Academy. You know? Are you still involved with Scratch? No, I just left in September. Okay. Um, but I was there for 11 years. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that was a a great way for me to kind of like keep my hand on the pulse of where, um, the DJ community is going. Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I want to talk about Scratch for a minute because I, I think it's interesting, like, you, you know, you're just talking about like, all of a sudden there's all these more DJs. Well, you know, and then there's schools like Scratch Academy that can teach you how to be a DJ. Yeah, and, and the thing is that I never thought I would ever be in a position where I could actually teach what I'm doing. You know, I never, never, ever dreamed of it, you know. And I had been approached before Scratch um, by various other schools, mm-hmm. who were startup schools at the time. People mm-hmm. who were just doing schools out of their garage, whatever, wanted yep. me to come and contribute. And I was like, ah, I'm cool. You know, um, and then uh, when Scratch Academy approached me, they just had everything organized, man, and just had it all on point. And I, I said, yeah. you know what, I'm gonna take a stab at this. Let's see sure. what's up. And uh, um, I went into to there, and uh, I went in there as an instructor, and I I did it for like three years as an mm-hmm. instructor, and I, I I left for a little while because I was going through some personal things in my life. And they asked me to come back, but they wanted to give me a title as as director. So I was like, yeah, okay, cool. You know, so I was a director for seven years there. Um, but it, it it really made me understand the craft and even the culture even more and gave me a better understanding of it on how to present it to someone who knows nothing about it at all. Like, you, you we got a lot of people who came in who were just curious about it. Right. And then they figured out how hard it was, yeah. and then, like, some of those people would go away. Yeah, yeah. But then, like, the people who were really wanted to learn about it and make a career out of it. Yeah. Those were the people that would stick around. And really what I learned was that a lot of people wanted to learn how to DJ just because they, not because of the music, not because of of um, where DJing was at at the time. It was because they'd go into a club and they'd see that, mm-hmm. the Apple computer. For sure. That. Oh, so that's, they figured in their heads, all I got to do is right. get a computer, get all this music, yeah. and I can start DJing. And yeah. that's not the case right. at all. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's not the case at all. Like, right. um, it's very important to understand, um, well, especially, like, with us teaching, we start on records, and then we graduate to the digital. So you have to go through the same thing. Mm-hmm. Not as long as we did, mm-hmm. but you still got to mm-hmm. go through the same steps that we did to get to that. Yeah. Yeah, so... It's definitely a lot easier, but um, you still got to put in the work. You still got to put in the, sure. the grind for sure, man, because if, you know, everybody's a DJ now, you know? Well, I I think it's made it easier to be a mediocre DJ. You <laughs> if, know what I mean? Like, if, if even that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. But, yeah. to, but, like, even that was, I wouldn't say it was difficult, but it was more difficult if you had to 
carrier crate yeah. and, you know, try to get the record on the right place, you know, the needle in the right place. Mm-hmm. And, like, like even being a bad DJ is is a little bit of work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, now technology make, like takes all that yeah. away. Yeah. Right? So now you can be a bad DJ really easily, but to be good. Really easily, but you... The thing is with the digital is that it, it it helps create bad habits also too. Like is that right? DJing for me, I learned how to listen, mm-hmm. listen, and it's split listening. So mm-hmm. I'm listening to something that I'm going to be bringing in. I'm listening to what's actually being played. Yeah. So you have to learn how to do that so first. Hard for me. Yeah, you yeah. got to learn how to do that first. And the thing is with the digital came out. Everybody has the screen now. It's in front of you. So you there's little cheap things on right. the screen that yeah. help you learn how to mix a little sure. bit. Not yeah. really. It just helps you to keep things on beat. Yeah. Um, the timing still is not there. you got to have the timing there. you got to understand, like, how things are supposed to sonically sound when mm-hmm. you're actually transitioning. So it just it, it takes a lot. you still got to work. you still got to work hard at it. And, you know, the digital made it a lot easier. But For sure. Yeah. So what do you think that experience... What'd you learn from all those years at Scratch? Um, just again, just a better approach at it. Like I understand what I'm doing now. Mm. I, I, at first, I was just learning how to do it, just so I could do it, kind of like just to show off, I guess, you know. But I have a better understanding of it now, to where I can actually present it to someone who knows nothing about it at all, mm. and start from scratch and start from the very beginning and get them to a level to where they're actually confident enough to actually go take a gig and go DJ in front of somebody or whatever. Yeah, so I, I learned a lot. Yeah. I, learned a, I learned how to teach it. Yeah. And I never thought I would ever be a teacher of DJing, but yeah, I am. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So with that and, and having you know done it now for so long, like how do you stay motivated to discover new music? I still love it, man. Do you? I still love it. Like when I was... 15 years old when I, when I did that first gig at New Year's and the homie, homie ran out on me and left me there by myself. I fell in love with, with it then and I never fell out of love with it. The thing is is that um, a lot of DJs that I know at some point end up retiring or just slowing down because, you know, they get married, have family, other job opportunities, you know, life takes, life takes you in a different direction. Um, and life took me in a bunch of different directions. I did that too. I got married, had kids, and the whole nine. But mm. I never lost my love for the craft, mm-hmm. the culture, the the music. Uh, I, I'm still excited to go do a radio show. I'm still excited to go do a, go do a gig. I'm a little older now, so I might be a little tired sometimes. <laughs> but by the time I get there, can I just, get that early slot? Yeah, can I get that <laughs> nine o'clock slot? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but uh, for the most part, I, I still love it. Like when yeah. I first discovered it, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's... And do you love, obviously, DJing on the radio versus a club is so different. Um, you know, me and my boy were talking about this the other day. There was a time when. The streets would dictate what the radio plays. Mm-hmm. It's not like that anymore. Yeah. Um, it's um, it's definitely now the radio pretty much kind of like, and I think that's because of social media and just yeah. like you know just the way everything is now. Um, it kind of dictates what the streets was hot in the streets in some cases. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, I like to do both club and radio still, um, but only way with radio is free programming. For me, like 
I, right. I, I did the whole program thing sure. for years, and so. We talk about like mix show stuff. Yeah, mix show stuff definitely. Um, you know, it, it's it's more important for me to kind of like play from my gut instead yeah. of like playing like okay, I got to play off this playlist. Mm-hmm. Uh, never was a fan of that, but I played the game. You know what I'm saying? Because I understood what it, what it what it was. So. Sure. But um, yeah, me it, it, club or radio has to be free programming for me. So how do you know a lot of DJs? We've had a lot of folks on this show, Baker Boys, you know, Newmark. Folks talk about, you know, learning to read the room, mm-hmm. right? You feel the energy. You feel instantly if you've messed up or if you've gone the right way. Yeah. Right? Like in terms of selecting, right? Yeah. That, so I, I think it's important, like, when you're DJing is to look up. Another thing that the digital era brought in is that you're looking at the screen so much, no right. one's looking at the crowd. Yeah. No one's looking at what people are doing. Like, that's the thing, like I've always learned, especially from the Baker Boys. It's like you look up, you look around, you see what people are doing, you yeah. see if they're even vibing to what you're playing, and then if they're not, then you got to figure something else out. So, how do you apply that to radio? When you can't see the crowd. Um, you just kind of go in and, and vibe, like you kind of like just vibe with what what you're doing, mm-hmm. and you and I think that's what one of my things is that I always went in not thinking about. Like, when I was at Power, I never thought about, like, who was listening. I just went in that room, that mix room, like, I was at my house and just knocked out the mix, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Have fun while doing it, but that's, sure. I never thought about who was listening. Yeah. And then I would always, like, when we in staff meetings, I remember, like, yeah, we have, like, 2.8 million or something listening. I was like, damn, so many people were listening to me at one time. Like, it always hit me then when someone would tell me, but I would never think <laughs> about it right. because I was so focused on going on and executing a clean mix and making sure that it sounded good. And that that was the most important thing to me. If you're feeling this interview with Mr. Chark, check out a couple of the people that were influences on him. We had Baker Boys on the show way back. Uh, Also check the Rebel Radio archives for our interview with Richard Vision. There's two episodes for you right there, Baker Boys and Richard Vision. And now let's get back to Mr. Chuck. So what about, I was saying earlier, you know, you, you seem to like, you know, be down with everybody. So, you, you know, you, you had the almighty Roughnecks and then, mm-hmm. you know, Fantastic Four and you've been mm-hmm. down with Beat Junkies, now Scam Artists. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it started off with almighty Roughnecks and, you know, we came to power and then um, Baker Boys started up Ghetto Baby Record Pool. Right. And then Ghetto Baby Record Pool was where I met the guys from the Beat Junkies. And we just hit it off and just started hanging out. And mm-hmm. I remember I told them I wanted to get down with the crew. And they kind of like, okay, cool. You know, you know, t- kind of took their time to let me in. But then they let me in. And then it was cool after that. And yeah. uh, we just took it to the next level with those guys. I'm still rocking with them. Still got a lot of things going on with the crew right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, Scam Artists came through Sujit. Um, I had actually known Sujit since the 90s, like late 90s, sure. and done parties like in Santa Barbara when he was throwing parties out there. And, yep. and then um, I had I had had a number of managers at that point, like in 2004, 2005, I think it was. And only people that were on Scam at the time was um, Vice, Eric, and... And Scythe, mm-hmm. um, I want to say maybe five and Obi Wan in Vegas. Okay. And I remember I just got, I just 
got rid of my manager at the time, and, you know, Vice was telling me, like, you should just come with us. Like, Suge is a good dude. He's never screwed me over, and I wouldn't, you know, suggest you to come with someone that's going to screw you over anyway, so mm -hmm. you should just get down with us. And yeah. so I said, all right, cool. You know, and at that time, you know, I was um, doing the two-hour traffic jam primetime slot, so right. I think that kind of helped, too, for me to get down with the, the scam artist. But, um, yeah, I've, I've known Suja for years, man, yeah. and, and still he's a, he's a great guy, and to see where Scam is at now from when we started from, like, <laughs> six DJs on a roster to, like, it's, like, 70 now yeah. on the roster is crazy. It's Incredible. Yeah, it's crazy. But, yeah. you know, kudos to him and much props to him for always um, thinking ahead and thinking long-term of what this what that was going to turn into and, mm -hmm. and always looking out for me, though, too. Man, He's always taking care of me, so definitely big up to Scam. But yeah. that's I got down with Scam in, like, in 2004. I got down with... Um, Beat Junkies in 96, mm -hmm. and um, Fantastic Four was just a combination of Almighty Roughnecks, me and C-minus, J-Rock from mm -hmm. the Beat Junkies, and then Truly Odd, who was actually DJing for Everlast at the time. Oh, that's right. Um, so, and But Truly was just always someone that I would run into, like, at different shows. Like, if we're in New York, he's out there, too. We just hang out. We just always hit it off, man, mm -hmm. and it's just really cool doing it, just very knowledgeable about music from, like, the 80s mm -hmm. and just just records period he he's just a record dude and sure. so it, it was a it's a perfect fit so i said yeah come on come yeah. get down with us man and yeah that's how the whole fantastic four thing started so what is it about cruise i know scams a little bit different right because that's a but, management mm -hmm. yeah but like what is it about that that works for you why why is that a good I, idea i think just because you're around like-minded people mm -hmm. who who get like the vision of what we want to do with this craft and what we want to do with this music. So I think that's always been important to yeah. surround myself with people who are like-minded and have the same goals. Mm. And that's the reason why me and C-Minus are still together as, as, as brothers and as roughnecks. Mm -hmm. So the same reason why I'm still down with Scam because everyone that's there has the same vision, um, you know, especially with Sujit and, um, and the Beat Junkies. It's just like, it's like, I always tell the guys in the crew that it's, it feels more like a brotherhood than it does a crew sure. at this point. Yeah. You know, next year is 25 years for the crew. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, cool. you know, we we have a lot of things up our sleeves that we're going to really be um, yeah, I'm sure. bringing to the forefront here in 2017, man. So it, it's just really good to have like-minded people and people who, have, who share the same vision with you and, mm -hmm. and want to and, and won't stab you in the back and won't, like, try to get over ahead of you because of a gig or right. more money or anything like that at all. It's about more about <clears throat> about the movement more so mm -hmm. than it is about the success of an individual. It's sure. more about the movement. It's more about the, the building of the brand. And it's more about just um, making our movement more worldwide and more acceptable. So. I mean, it's interesting you say that because, you know, we don't think of DJing as a team sport. No, not at all. Right, and, you know, whether it's when you're in the booth or, you know, most – most DJs, you know, it's one man kind of on his own, right? And, yeah. And, um, and that's, you know, I think on the one hand, that's sort of what makes it special, mm -hmm. too, is that, you know, you're a one-man orchestra, mm -hmm. right? And you can you have a infinite arsenal of instruments, of sounds to bring to the table, mm -hmm. you know? With, mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, it, it can be lonely in the booth and on the road and yeah. all that, right? And yeah. so I, I get... I get why it can be really helpful to have people 
Yeah, because they're all going through the same thing. Yeah. You know, like, we always talk about that. Like, man, we got this gig. We got to fly for 13 hours to whatever location. You know, right. and, and all of us have been through it. You know, yeah. it's like, I remember earlier this year, I went to Australia and I did, like, a little tour out there. And I was on the group text with the guys. And I was like, man, I'm over here. Um in Australia, in Sydney right now, and I'm waiting. Uh, I got a, like, uh, nine-hour layover or something like that. Mm. And, and the guys were all laughing at me, like, ha-ha, traveling, ha-ha, <laughs> like, you know, just making fun of me or whatever. But, right. you know, yeah, they, they know because they've been in the same boat sure. a million times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how does it work? Like, how, how do you guys help each other? Other, other than that, right, like having just knowing there's someone in your corner that, knows what you go through um i mean we again it's about the brand it's about the group um we all have individual success Mm -hmm. so we tried to come together to make sure that as much individual success that we have we still want the brand to be bigger Mm -hmm. than us as individuals Mm -hmm. so we just really just plan and, and 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 really um work hard to like you know we got things like a record pool now um we have a clothing line Nice. Like we we just keep doing things to build the brand. As long as we keep building the brand, we're all gonna be successful. We're all gonna be able to eat off that and mm-hmm. and, and keep living and keep doing our thing. So I think mm-hmm. it's important to continue to keep building the brand and and look out for each other as brothers. Um, and, and you know help each other out too. You know like if someone needs a, a, a gig and if like I got a slew of gigs but I don't need, I I could I could definitely slide one gig to sure. one of the other guys or something. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, looking out big. for each other. Yeah, I think it's it's important for more people to do that type of stuff, though, too, in this day and age. And I don't think a lot of people get that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, do things together, hand in hand, man, and you'll see a lot more longevity out of it, you know, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, from my own experience, I could say that. So I think that, yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's I, the way dude, to go. You're, yeah. you're a case study for that. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, that's big. Um what what do you think, what have you sacrificed to get what you have? Um, a lot of sleepless nights. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, I've sacrificed a lot, man. I, I really, you know, just um, just the mental alone going into this. Like, you have to have a strong mental to be able to endure everything that comes along with the success of, of DJing. And, um, you know, I, I was married at a, at a young age, mm. and, um, but, you know, I'm divorced now, so I definitely lost that. Sure. Um, and, you so know. Are there times when you've had to question the, the mission? Oh, yeah. I question it every day still sometimes. <laughs> like, should I still be doing this? I should be looking for plan B now, you know? Like, yeah. you know, but my thing is that I used to drive like forklifts and, and, is that right? and tractors and stuff, man. I don't, I'm, I, once I left that when, at the age of 21, yeah. I left that behind. I told myself I would never ever go back to that. So, like, this is it. This mm-hmm. is plan A only. And mm-hmm. we're just going to keep going and just making sure that everything is on point, you know? Yeah. And and I'm still hungry for it too. So that that helps a lot too. Yeah. It helps a lot. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. It's interesting that like 
you know, I know there's a lot of young DJs too, but but like guys our age, mm -hmm. you know, are are pretty much the ones at the top of the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's I, I you know, I guess you see some of that in other areas of music, but I think generally like you know the musicians that are impacting like pop culture tend to be much younger yeah yeah but i think it's also up to the older generation to make sure that the younger generation is on point what i hate sometimes man is that i feel like hip-hop is the only genre that doesn't respect um the people who came before them mm. sometimes it's always kind of like easy for hip-hop to be like ah oh, he's old that's old stuff you know like i see that even now i don't know who some of these rappers are uh little yachi or something yeah. or who doesn't know nothing about who thinks that biggie was overrated or or tupac was overrated oh, like wow. man you know yeah. like I, I i see these videos i'm like man who who's where, where's the 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 older generation of of rappers and producers and djs that are that are not educating these these youngsters on yeah. what what's going on I think it's it's something for us who have been through the, the trenches and, and who have been doing this for a long time. It's something. It means something for us to make sure that the young generation understands where all this came from. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it feels like that's starting to happen. You know, there's whether it's the Get Down or Hip Hop Evolution. There's like all of a sudden this, yeah. this you know, interest at least in TV mm -hmm. in telling that story. But it needs to be more of us who been right. through that telling yeah, the yeah. story to the sure. younger generation doing yeah, things like this even like coming on and, and and telling our stories for sure for someone to listen to and be inspired by and kind of like okay i'm gonna go in that path you know yeah. I, I think it's great that 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 you know you have these these shows and documentaries now that are coming out i think stretch and bobito just came out yeah, with a yeah, documentary yeah. which is incredible fantastic um there's another one called stretch has a book coming out oh really yeah that's uh no sleep, I think, is it's called. He's it, it, telling a lot of those stories. Dope as well. That and then um, the hip hop evolution documentary that just mm -hmm. came out recently. I, I just watched all four um, episodes so, of that. Oh, so, good. so dope! Very thorough too. Yeah. I like it. Um, but yeah, I just think that the older generation needs to do more of that for the younger generation. Yeah, although I, I will say, uh, I, I met Joe Sample back in the day. When, oh, word. Rest in peace. But yeah. Uh, but he told me that, you know, he was impressed at the time that this is not today's generation, this is our generation mm -hmm. of rappers that were coming up to him and showing him respect. And he said that his generation didn't care about the jazz artists that came before him. Really? Yeah, and they were kind of like, you know, step aside, it's our turn. So so it's not just hip hop that's like that it's it's well it's, but i think hip hop at least you know i think a lot of it is sampling yeah and we're in an era right now where sampling is not what's driving this music right, right right but for us you know 80s 90s like it was the sampling and and i you know i don't know about you but for me like that's how i learned about jazz yeah and, oh yeah that's that's what definitely know, educated me on that it was just a, a lot of you know jazz especially but but i learned way more about funk i knew you know i knew a handful of records mm -hmm. and i learned about all the records through hip-hop because yeah. you hear the sample and then you go look for it and you 
But see, yeah. that's the thing for me. Like when I first started like listening to hip hop, I didn't realize a lot of things were samples. I didn't realize sure. that yeah, at all. Like in, like in the eighties, I didn't know all those things. Then I, when I learned, I said, "That's a sample." Right. If they took that from somewhere, oh my yeah. god! Like oh. Yeah. You know, so that that's what actually, I mean, as just like you said, like that's what got me into like, okay, let me go dig for this record. Let me go find this record. But I think with that, you there's an you get an appreciation for the artist that created yeah. that, right? Because you realize without A, then B doesn't exist. Right. Right. And I think when we get away from that, then, you know, there's less relevance, right? It, it's yeah. not, you know, and it's not that it's not that those contributions don't matter, but they're not, you know. The relationship of Lil Yachty to Biggie is not the same. Yeah. Because he's not sampling Biggie or he's not hearing that in his music today. Right. right. You know? But I mean, the thing is, though, that. I'm not defending that. No, no, I know. I know. I know. But I kind of get it. You <laughs> right. know, like. I, I get right. it too. I understand it. But I, I still feel like, even from like when we were coming up, like it was still important for us to kind of like, and, and I get what you're saying too. You like the like the, the music that's out now. It's not there's no samples in it. It's just like them 808 right. playing yeah. some synths or whatever, and then calling it a day. Boom, right. here's a track. Um, but I mean, you know, me coming up, man. Like I wanted to go back and learn about all these 70s records. Like yeah, I knew the records sure. that my mom was playing. Yeah. But, like, what about these other records that exactly. people were sampling? Like, oh, exactly. oh, what's this? Oh, my God. Otis yeah. Redding, what? Like, you know, let me go back and yeah. do do my homework, you know? Like, For sure. I, I think because it's the appreciation of... It's the appreciation and the respect that I have for the craft itself mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. makes me want to go back and understand where it all comes from. And I think that us... The older generation should definitely be teaching the younger generation that same thing. I think someone like a little Yachty that kind of like, he doesn't get that yet. Sure, yeah. I think it will eventually come to him. Yeah. But you know, right now he's at the the height of his career, and I mean that's part of it know, too, right? Yeah, if the you, glamour and glitz is there. He gets there, success so. at that age, and like I don't yeah. know how old dude is, but you know, yeah, I mean, he's like, in his twenties. He's got to be in his twenties, you but, know. But you know, success will do a lot of funny things to you, like just yeah. shape your perspective on things. Oh yeah, yeah, know? definitely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's, it's. I mean, I'm sure you saw, at you know, being being a Power 106 when you were, must have been such an interesting time. You know, I spent time there just hanging out because I was managing Baker Boys or coming up there with WC yeah. or whoever. But yeah, but you know, the folk. I think it must have been interesting the folks you saw come through there, with different attitudes, different egos, and I've seen so many people who were so humble when they first came came yeah. up. And then that little bit of success, man, they switched up real quick. For sure. You know, and, and I get it. I and understand. Then, like and then, you know, and then but you but you're at the station and so then a year later you never see that person again because mm -hmm. they're done. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And and so that's gotta have that's gotta give you an interesting perspective. It definitely does, man. But I think that's why again it's important to for longevity, you have to make sure that everybody that's on board with you is got the same focus on the same things. Yeah. Like I think that when you have that success come to you at an early age like that, it's easy for some people just to be caught up in the whole glamour and glitz of it all. I mean, like just like just, they're just there for the benefits. They're not there to like for sure. help the movement yeah. get, you know, to another level. And yeah. you know, that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like Hand in hand again. I just yeah. I have to keep coming back to that because that's what it is. It's like it's up to us. Like here, I, I look at it like this: my son's twenty five years old right mm. now. 
my daughter's 21. Just because they're that age doesn't mean that my job as a parent is over. For sure. It's the same thing with what we're doing with this 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 culture, this craft. Like, yeah. just because, like, I've already traveled around the world three or four times doesn't mean that I can't teach the younger generation on what to expect or, mm -hmm. or how to do this, you know? Mm -hmm. It's important. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, I have a little speed round uh -oh. I want to get you with. Okay. Uh, all right, so go back to... Um, your your eighteen year old self, you're coming to LA. Mm -hmm. uh, what advice would you give that guy? Um, what advice would I give that my eighteen year old self? This is like the Dave Chappelle thing. <laughs> I like that. Um, I would tell my eighteen year old self to practice more, to to buy records more, mm. to um, really. Whatever I was doing at 18, to do it even more, to do it even, because I feel like, you know, you always think about if I could go back in time, you know. Sure. Uh, it's like I, I would tell myself to go harder than what I was going at that time. Okay. Just because I had a good understanding of it, but I feel like if I would have put even more time into it, I'd be at a whole nother level right now. I would definitely tell myself just to keep, keep going hard. Okay. <laughs> Much harder though. <laughs> And, and and learn as much as you possibly can and to um appreciate where you're at at that point mm. because i don't think i appreciated where i was at, at that point at all for sure yeah yeah what other talent outside of music did have you always wished you had more of wish i was a better drummer i used to drum when i was in high school oh cool um i definitely wish i was a better drummer um i would tell myself that too Stay drumming, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. because that me being a drummer at a young age helped me to understand DJing once I started doing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would definitely be wish mm. I could drum a lot more. Okay. So if you could choose a different career and knew you wouldn't fail at it, what what would you do? Um, a different career. No, I wouldn't fail at it. Um, if somehow, if if somehow you realize you couldn't play music anymore, and like, what what else would you want to do? Uh, I would probably. It was a time when I was like really into production. Mm. I definitely uh, get back into making music rather than just going out and playing it. Like, yeah. um, I think when I first started, I was doing a little bit of both. Um, but then once the DJing started paying off more, I, I kind of left that behind. Yeah. But I definitely wish I would have stayed up on that and stayed up on my craft with that mm -hmm. because I'd be in another, another place also too, like working with different artists, just interviewing them and DJing for them was cool, but if I could have actually been in a place where I could actually do all that and also produce music for them, mm -hmm. that would have been the lick right there for me. Okay. Yeah. So if if we worked together, if I was, you know, in the crew or uh, on your team somehow, what what's something I would hear you say over and over? Um, stay focused, work hard, and forward motion. Mm-hmm. Don't dwell on anything that's going to bring you down or take away your energy. I, I say that to my students. I say that to the crew. I say that to my kids. 
you you'll hear me say that all the time. Like yeah. don't don't dwell on things, and I, I dwell on things, so I know it's it's easy how easy it is to do that. Yeah, we gotta but tell you, ourselves. But when you dwell on things, it's like that takes away from whatever you're working on at the at, in the present. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. I, I would you would hear me say that over and over and over. You'd probably be like, Man, okay, Chuck, I get it. <laughs> Shut the hell up now. <laughs> you know? No, that's a good one. <laughs> Uh, who would you be most excited to learn is a fan of yours? Oh man, um, I would have to say, hmm, it, it would definitely be a, a, a hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> Who would I be excited to see to know that he's a fan of well, mine? Well, who's been a fan that's 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 you've been I, excited to learn about? I remember there was one time, um, and this this excited the hell out of me. Um, this was during the when the Lakers was like I want to say like two thousand two, two thousand three. Okay, Shaq came up to the radio station, and I was in the mix room. I was mixing, and like I came out of the mix room, and he was walking into the to the main studio at the same time. And he saw me. He goes, "What's up, Chalk? How you doing? Big fan. Just want to let you know I'm about to you one of these days." Nice. And I was like, "Oh man, Shaq, <laughs> huge yeah, dude. You know sure. what I'm saying?" So that that definitely was was a shocker to me. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. Shaq, Shaq was the one. Shaq was. The one. I still can't think of like who. Right. Uh, it'll no, come. It'll come to me. Shaq's a good one though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you collect anything? Yeah, I collect um I collect um Marvel action figures. Oh wow. <laughs> I'm a big nerd, man. I mean, pretty much anyone that's a DJ right like is like I used to collect comic books. Uh-huh. So, you know, like like these last like 10 years or so with all these Marvel movies that have yeah. been coming out. Oh man, I've been heaven. It's got to be a dream. Oh, man. yeah, it's a dream come true cuz it's all the books that I collected and read as as a kid are now made into movies and stuff. So, I collect um, the Marvel figures. I still buy records. I collect records still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I collect uh, wrestling video games. I'm, I'm, I'm into wow. wrestling too, so I still collect those. Like uh, like WWE. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the video games. Though. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm still a nerd with that too, man. <laughs> I mean, that that's something that I inherited from like my godmother, rest her soul, Maddie. Uh, uh, she she got me hooked on to like wrestling when I was like a young like four or five years oh, old. Wow. She, they would it was always it was always on at her house. So That's whenever cool. I was there, it's just yeah. like I got hip to it, and I, I was like, okay, cool. And I know everyone's gonna say, you know, this stuff's fake, right? Yeah, I know it's fake, y'all. But I watch it more for one because it takes a lot to do a lot of those moves, and two is because of the the storylines sometimes kind of draw me in. It's like a male soap opera, right, basically right. what it is. So yeah. You know, it's funny. I grew up like my stepfather was big. He still is a big wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan, but we would watch it and hang out, and it was like our thing to do, whatever. And you know, this is the '80s, mm-hmm. so it's like Iron Sheik. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan, mm-hmm. and uh, and then when I was in college, I used to go to the Bally's in Hollywood. Okay. And there was a young kid there my age, who was like a wrestler, he was an up-and-coming uh-huh. wrestler, he was trying to go pro. Uh-huh. And I was like, and you know, this is back before the internet, so, you know, I'd always be like, dude, I know this is fake, 
And my stepfather, he used to say it's fake until they get mad, which is like totally <laughs> not true. true. I mean, yeah. it's it's kind of true, right? You know, uh, but but that but like, it's not. But, really, but they're not going to do it in, in the ring. They're going right. to do it backstage. So yeah. you know, because there's like roid rage and whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, anyways, I meet this dude, and I'm like, all right, tell me the truth, whatever. You know, is you know, does do you get hurt? And he's like, yeah, yeah, and. And then I talked to him about it. And what he meant, though, is, like, falling on the mat and throwing yourself. Like, yes, it's all fake, but it's like yeah. being a stuntman. Yeah. It's like you get banged up and bruised up. And yeah. He's like, you get mat burn, mm-hmm. and you get, you know, you from twist the ropes, ankle. From or, those ropes that they're bouncing yeah, off of, they all, get all kind of burns on them. All um, that stuff. People are uh, always constantly getting neck injuries from being yeah. dropped on their head for, for a number sure. of years. So yeah, you, sure. you get injured. Yeah, yeah, you get injured. It's a physical. It's a. It's a. It's a fake physical, <laughs> a very physical um, sport. This is. It's, it's like stunt work, right? Like, yeah. like it's, it's hard work. Yeah. To to make that look, you know, mm-hmm. look as real as it does. Mm-hmm. And it's all predetermined, and we all know that. For sure. But you know, there's yeah. just something fun about watching. Like, like, who's going to win, Brock Lesnar or right. Goldberg? Or, you know, it's just like, it's, well, it's, it's funny exciting you, to me sometimes. It's funny you say, like, that, you know, you're also into the comic book stuff because that's the same thing, right? Like, the the superheroes aren't going to get killed. We know that. In some cases. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like, you're not watching Batman thinking, like, is he going to die this right, time? Right, 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 right. He'll yeah. figure it out no yeah. matter what type of trouble he gets But there's still that into. tension yeah. that, you know, even though we know the outcome, yeah, how you get there is still... You it's know, it's watching the story unfold. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, what movie do you think you've seen the most? Oh man, <laughs> um, ah, the most. It would probably have to be something in the Star Wars. Mm. Um, whether it be Empire, it has to be Empire Strikes Back. I watched that movie. I know it like the back of my hand, dude. Yeah, I could do all the droid sounds, yeah. Chewbacca noises. Um, that's the best one too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, because it's the cliffhanger of of, of the all the all those movies. You seen Rogue One yet? No, but I'm hearing that it's just as good as Empire. So that's what made me think that's about what that. What people right are saying, too. yeah. Like, oh, if it's that good, then I'm there. The last one I that from last year. Oh no, that was horrible. No. Yeah. I was very upset with that, that because was... I felt like it left a lot of things unexplained. Yeah, and just like like why is this here, huh? Who is she? Why is he? What? Huh? Yeah. I just didn't get a lot of it, sure. you know. But yeah, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Rogue One. Yeah, me, me too. I, I think Empire. I mean, for me, it's the best one too. But I think, and I think part of it is, you know, first of all, I think part of it was our age. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I saw Star Wars in the theater, mm-hmm. the first one. Yeah. But I was too young. I was way young. I it was, was just, I was nine years, ten years old when oh, Star Wars first came out. I think I was five. Oh my, wow! My mom took me to the theater, and it was yeah. just like I was just scared because it was so loud. Yeah. And big. Yeah. And like I enjoyed it, but I was like, I think I was in the, in the lobby like for half the movie. Just, <laughs> so you'd be like, ah, no, yeah, yeah, ah, and then no. go exactly, Eyes yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so like, but I liked it, you know, mm-hmm. the next day. But it was too much for me. Right, right, right. Time. Yeah, but then Empire, like you're at that age when you could really appreciate it yeah because it's like it, it was a, a lot of a lot of battles in that movie yeah and but then a lot of cliffhangers you know right. the, the introduction of darth vader was luke's father For and sure. solo gets frozen and taken away you know yep. what's going to happen with the empire and the rebellion it's just a lot going on in that movie it's like oh my god i can't wait for the next one <laughs> and you know just 
I, I I remember that was one of the first movies that I could really vividly remember mm. going to watch with my dad too. You know, oh, so cool. nice. and my dad was wasn't into it at all. He just knew that I wanted to watch it. Me, right. what took me and my little yeah, sister. Yeah, I'm sure my mom wasn't into it. Either. Yeah, yeah. He was like, whatever. He probably fell asleep. And then like, oh, it's over. All right, cool. You guys like it? Cool. All right, let's go. <laughs> okay, last question. Uh, who's the best DJ? Me? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> um, who's the best DJ you've ever seen play live? That's a lot, man. I mean, I have so much respect for a lot of of the guys in my crew: Babu, Mello, J Rock, um, Rhett, uh, Shortcut, D Styles. Mm-hmm. I mean, those guys continue to amaze me, and, and just thank God I'm in the same crew with them, and we're all brothers and friends. And because if they were not in my crew, I'd be really scared of them. <laughs> but but I, they also, being as dope as they are, they inspire the hell out of me. Yeah. And make me work hard to get to their level. So I, I definitely think being in a group with those guys, I feel like they are all the best DJs. But outside of them, I would have to say maybe a DJ Craze. Mm. Um, um, That's a good one. Uh, yeah, DJ Craze, man. Who's, <laughs> who's been the biggest surprise that impressed you that you didn't expect them to? Hmm. Um, shocker. Let's see. You know, I, I. This isn't a, a knock towards him in any type of way at all. Is um, I never knew. I'd heard the name Four Color Zach for years, and I never knew how dope he was until I saw his Red Bull performance, and I was and I was blown away by it. I was yeah. like, Yo, like who is this? What? Yeah. Like I had no idea. Like. You know, because uh, like, exactly at the time, nice. like, like your favorite DJs were the people that you knew and you've sure. been following for all these years. And so I, I heard this name, Four Colors Zach. I was like, hey, okay, cool, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I saw the Red Bull performance and that just like, I was like, okay, this is a new approach to it now. This is, this is dope. He's Incredible. adding. It's, it's stuff that, he took a lot of stuff that was being done in the 80s, yep. 80s style of, DJ, of DJing back then, but he incorporated into what he was doing at that time and mm-hmm. just really made it really, really dope. And I was impressed. I was very impressed. Still impressed with him. I think he's a he's a, he's a dope DJ. It's, it's funny because him and Craze are partners. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. like like wow. Okay. Yeah. Like so yeah. Craze is definitely one of the dopest I've ever seen. Yeah. And uh, impressed with and um, definitely um, Four Color Zach. The same thing. I think just I was very surprised. Those are good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Those. Are, I mean, but those, those are. are good. Le- I don't. I don't think anyone's mentioned those two on the show yet. But but I think those are the levels that I definitely uh, want to get to. You know, watching those guys because that's more of the newer generation now. Uh-huh. Now, if we go back, I mean, one of the dopest DJs I think ever that I that I know personally is Tony G. Oh yeah, by far from 1580 K Day. I mean, yeah. Tony G, Joe Cooley, um, M Walk, mm-hmm. all the K Day mix masters were very instrumental. And to me, wanting to get better at the craft. Like, that's what, besides, like, hanging out with the Baker Boys and practicing with them, mm-hmm. I listened to K-Day religiously and had tapes and cassettes and would listen to them and pretend, even before I had equipment, pretend I was them in my room doing all, because I knew the tapes by heart. So I'd, mm-hmm. I'd be going along and on my oh, dresser and just doing all the hand motions and everything yeah, yeah, yeah. And before I even understood and even hilarious. knew how to DJ. But, yeah, definitely uh, for the newer generation, Craze, Four Color Zach. And then for the the generation where I come from, before me is all the KDMX masters, Tony G, Julio G, too. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's crazy because again, I grew up like really 
respecting it and and idolizing these guys and now I'm good friends with all of them you know so it's 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 crazy like this whole DJ life that I've been living for the longest time has been really it's been really as much as I put in is is given back to me the same thing so I'm very very proud of that and very happy about that That's definitely dope. well man I appreciate you doing this I'm glad to see you still doing it yeah man and, uh, and I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry it took so long for us to finally make this happen. I know, no, like we were going good, back man. and forth on Facebook, but now you know why yeah. because it's not on my phone. Um, yeah, but good. yeah, man, I'm I'm very glad to see that what you're doing here with Rebel Radio too, man. And and this is a good thing, man. And I think that um, you need to get more people on. And again, if you need some help with getting some people on, let me know. I'll Appreciate contact it. whoever I need. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna take you up on that. Yeah, dope. Got you, my man. Thank you. Oh yeah, how do how does everybody find you online? Um. Online, I am at um, Facebook. Um, if you know my government name, you can find me there. <laughs> um, I, but I also have a fan page uh, on Facebook, Mr. Chalk, just real easy, M-R-C-H-O-C. Cool. Um, Twitter is uh, Mr. Chalk Fan 4. That's M-R-C-H-O-C-F-A-N, the number four on Twitter. And on Instagram, it's um, the real Mr. Chalk. Cool, cool. There it is. Find cool. me. Hit me up, y'all. Appreciate the love and uh, much respect to everybody out there that's always followed me. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, with this interview, I've hopefully inspired people. And, uh, I'm sure yeah, you have. Come see me, you guys. I, I still teach DJing also, too. And we got some big announcements coming in 2017 with the Beat Junkie brand. And I'm um, just really happy and excited for this new year. Thank God 2016 is over. It's taking way too many people, too many too many famous and legendary people. For and sure. um Let's get into 2017, and let's definitely uh, let's love each other, y'all, for real. Yo, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mr. Chalk. Make sure you find him online and watch for the Beat Junkies' 25th anniversary. I'm sure they got some good stuff planned around that. Most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice.